We solve a problem for uh, for software teams, uh, specifically for engineers and product managers. Uh, we're basically a, a stack for your notification infrastructure. Welcome to From the Ground Up, the podcast where we delve deep into the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs and their journey to build successful startups. I'm your host, Jake Aaron Villarreal, and in each episode, I sit down with the founders to learn about their experiences, the challenges they face, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they've gained while turning their dreams into reality. Today, we'll be exploring the incredible story of Troy Good, a graduate of Y Combinator and the founder and CEO of Courier a venture-backed company. If you're an entrepreneur building applications, you'll want to listen to how being acquired by Oracle can change your future. You'll hear a fascinating story of why companies like LinkedIn invest millions of dollars to ensure you get timely notifications, and how Troy's team made it possible to automate the process without the complexity or infrastructure cost. If you don't know what notifications are, think of the 1.5 billion iPhones out there that ping you to update their latest software version. But there's even a bigger market for software applications to communicate efficiently with each other through the use of notifications. It's big business, and Courier is helping solve that problem. So before we dive in, uh, Troy, we're going to talk about your company. We'll go into yep. all the details of that. but. Let's talk about you, because I always believe that it's not just the company that people are attracted to, but it's also the founder. But we're going to go back early, early days in your life. So <laughs> five, 10 years old, 15, talk about you, where you're from, your first job, the things that kind of inspired you to think about at some point, maybe starting your own company. Yeah. Well, hey, Jake, thanks for, for having me on and, and great to see you as always. Um, yeah. Oh man. Like this, I feel like I'm on a date, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I grew up on the East coast. I, these days I live in San Francisco, but, uh, grew up in Virginia in the kind of a, a remote part of Virginia, lived on 17 acres and you know, woods, right? Like the, a mile walk to the bus stop kind of situation. Um, my, my dad was, um, involved in technology. So he was, uh, originally an electrical lineman, but then, uh, he started a, a company uh, at first running kind of, you know, doing electrical work, but eventually as like the early eighties kicked in, uh, he started to get requests from local businesses to run, uh, early networking cables, right? So this is when offices were first starting to set up. I don't even know if it was ethernet at the time. It was probably like token ring or something crazy, right? That none of us use anymore, but he was out there kind of setting up networked computer systems. And as a result, he brought home a lot of, uh, computers. And so I remember even from the age of like six, like they were, they tended to be a, a few years old. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so we had, you know, we didn't have color monitors, uh, at first, even when, when, you know, those were popular on the market and just starting to hit, but I was, I still had access to it. And I was just, it was, it was like, those were my toys as, as a little kid. Nice. Right? And, um, and then, you know, he, he ran his own business. Uh, so there was the entrepreneurial side there as well. And I don't know, it was, it was kind of a straight shot. It wasn't like there wasn't, you know, this aha moment for me. It was um, uh, kind of always being steeped into it. Got it. Great. So um, being from the East Coast and kind of going through life, um, go to school, you get out, you end up working for, you know, companies in technology. Yeah. What, at what point did you end up moving to the West Coast? So I didn't move to the West Coast until um, in my 30s. We, you know, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but uh, had the good fortune of helping take a company public uh, and then ultimately selling that company to to Oracle. And that opened up a lot of um, 
opportunities for me, as well as just um, you know, changed kind of the financial uh, view of of moving to an expensive city. Um, we also had our our two first two kids were very young at the time, and so part of the conversation for my wife and I was if we're ever going to do it, and we kind of always knew that one day we should, given what I love to do and just my career, um, that that was the right time. Yep. Got it. Yeah, great. Yeah, there was this whole uh, thought about to build technology and be in a technology company. You have to be on the West Coast, but with technology and innovation really everywhere, really doesn't matter where you're at today. It, uh, it, it totally doesn't, although I would say... Um, you know, I think the sweet spot is for the founder to be on the West Coast uh, because the thing is, yeah, you can build a technology company and you can especially bootstrap a technology company from anywhere. Uh, you can fundraise from anywhere, but there are pretty distinct advantages um, to being in the Bay Area if you if you plan to raise venture capital. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. Proximity really does matter when it comes to raising capital and just your network and who you engage with. So, um Let's talk about your career. You talked already about sure. a company you helped take public. And early on, you got a degree. Was it in computer science? I never finished my my degree, actually, but it was computer science. Um, so I'm going to date myself here. But I I uh, had an opportunity to go work for a startup in the dot-com boom. Uh, and yeah. so that's, that's when I uh, left school uh, for what I thought was just going to be a summer thing. And um, then had the opportunity to kind of keep working there and making more money. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, we were able to sell that company. Um, and that was really kind of the, the, you know, unexpected launch of my career was like a buddy was just like, Hey, come, come down and work for the startup for the summer. And I was like, well, that sounds, you know, like fun. It's almost like an informal internship. Uh, let's go do it. And, um, managed to just never go back. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, degrees matter sometimes, and sometimes it's about the person, the leader, the the insights you can take from your experiences and bring that to the next opportunity. So you've been in looking at your career track, been leading engineering teams and taking ideas and bringing that into a product and bringing it to a market. But you did mention what I think a lot of people strive for, which is joining a company that becomes, you know, a public entity or becomes acquired. Right. Um, what company was that and what was that experience like? So yeah, the, the big one, um, you know, the one we took public and, and was acquired was a company called Eloqua. Uh, Eloqua had essentially created the, the cloud marketing automation space. So they compete uh, still to this day with uh, companies like Marketo and HubSpot. Um, so they enable marketing teams uh, to run kind of their digital campaigns, right? Predominantly email, but, but also uh, and you know, there was, um, a, they, they'd been around for a while. Uh, they'd been around for almost 10 years at that point, but it was one of those, um, companies where, where they hit something there was like kind of a, uh, a walk in the woods where they weren't really quite sure what they had yet. And then eventually they had it and they, you know, as, as, as part of kind of creating the market, sometimes it's a little bit slower going and then you all of a sudden have your fast followers, the, the competitors that are like, oh, you know, you've struggled and figured out the blueprint and how I'm just going to do that and perhaps execute faster. Uh, and as a result, there was some big changes at, at the company. Um, they brought in a new CEO. Uh, they had re-headquartered the company from Toronto to DC. That's where I was based. That's where our, our CEO was based. 
Uh, and so I was brought in by that new CEO as part of kind of a, a bit of a rebuild. And, um, you know, the, the company was doing well already. I think we were probably at approximately 25 million ARR when I joined. So, you know, we were already off to the races. It wasn't, you know, a super early stage startup then. And so that was part of what, you know, I identified as they, when they were recruiting me, they were doing so with the explicit intention of, of, you know, running towards that IPO as quickly as possible. Um, I, you know, looked at the opportunity and my judgment was, I thought it was, I thought it was possible and I thought I could help. And, uh, so I joined the team, helped grow the engineering team on the East coast, helped grow the engineering team on the West coast. Um, and, uh, and we were very fortunate that, uh, that the plan worked and we took the company public and about eight or nine months later, uh, Oracle came knocking. Wow. That's great. And I spent a number of years at Oracle, so they were in acquisition mode for a long time and I think <laughs> still are. Yes. When, when you go from a company, you help take public and then you're acquired by Oracle, there is a shift I'm, I'm assuming in culture and trying to understand what your tasks are moving forward. What was that experience like? Was it what you expected it to be? Well, to be honest, I was never an Oracle employee. I, uh, I, I bailed the, uh, the nature of that particular transaction was pretty exciting because, uh, they, I mentioned they, they purchased us about, uh, well, I think the, it didn't close for over a year after IPO, but, but the kind of transaction essentially happened about nine months in. And for those that haven't been part of an IPO, there's a, a thing called a lockup where you go public and your shares, you can't sell them, right? So you can't sell your shares right after IPO for a, a certain period of time, often six months. And so because it was after that, uh, and it was a cash transaction, they just paid us out for all of our vested shares <laughs> at a premium well above the, the market price, um, because we didn't have those shares locked up anymore. And so then the, uh, the, the decision was stay for a retention package and kind of you're usually looking at about two year stint to, uh -huh. uh, to maximize that or say, you know what, uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah. Got it. Well, you know, that's, uh, I think a lot of the people we talked to that have gone through this, it's a little bit different, but nobody really knows what it's like when it's you going through yeah. it. And, you know, the thought is you go through it, you collect what you earn. You go off into the sunset, you retire, but for, for, for a lot of people, you're still younger in your careers with a lot of inspiration and ideas that you feel like you can bring at the table. And, you know, we believe that it's not just about making money. It's also about your purpose and, uh -huh. you know, what are you trying to build and what are you trying to change and make an impact? So, um, you ended up beginning, uh, on a journey starting courier which is the current company you have today right. where did that idea come from um i would say it's a junction of of two things one is kind of the the need and one is the market and uh to talk to the market point really quickly when i was leaving Eloqua uh during the acquisition my my ceo who also left his kind of parting words of advice were hey troy it's all about the market and I wasn't really sure what he meant by that. And what I've kind of learned over time, and we still stay in touch, he's an investor in Courier, and uh, I'm a little older and, and more gray hair and kind of can understand what he was telling me now, uh, <laughs> is, you know, when when you're stable enough in your career, like, think about what, what industry you want to work in, 
right? Who, who are the customers you want to have? What, what are you going to be passionate about building? And so the, you know, courier really came about out of a, a need that I had. And it was, I'd been leading engineering teams for a long time. I'd worked in the communications space, right? Building market automation. I'd worked at companies that had, of course, their own market automation tools that the marketing team used. And my team, the team that I worked with, the product and engineering teams, they had needs that really weren't serviced by that marketing automation platform. And I knew what it did under the hood. And I said, God, I know it does what I need, but they're just not exposing it to me because I'm not their target customer. And uh, so it was kind of a the intersection of I needed that power that I knew was out there in the market, but just not not exposed to myself and our engineering team in the right way. And I was uh, explicitly looking for opportunities to build developer tools. Uh, I'm a I'm you know passionate about about developers and and development. I code still myself, even though that's not my my day job. I'll, I'll I don't believe I'll ever stop. Um, and uh, you know I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of tie that together and say, Hey, can I, uh, make sure that the customers that I'm talking to every day are, are developers. Yep. Got it. So for those that don't know courier, what's the problem you're solving and for whom? So we solve a problem for, uh, for software teams, uh, specifically for engineers and product managers. Uh, we're basically a, a stack for your notification infrastructure. Right. So you might, uh, your company might use something like a HubSpot, an Iterable, or a Braze for your marketing automation systems. But all of the, say, transactional and engagement related messages that a software product sends out, you can think of that as, say, password reset emails or a mobile push to, to remind you about something, an SMS alert, right? If a server is down, all of those kinds of things, it's really hard to use the existing marketing focused systems for that. So we built a new set of tools for developers to programmatically engage across multiple channels to do things like, um, you know, white labeling their messages using their customer's brand to do things like preference management, um, list subscriptions and fan outs, uh, delays and automations, all of that kind of targeted at those uh, engineers and product managers. So when you think of companies that send out hundreds of thousands of millions of notifications a day, a month, mm -hmm. a year. Um, what are some of the companies that we should know about that, that do that? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always joke that, uh, when I was first starting courier, uh, I went out and talked to all of the big companies to talk to their notifications teams. And uh, my joke with them was that they were my product managers because they had already built it. And I was just like, tell me what you've built. I'm just going <laughs> to build that for everybody else because you don't sell yours. Smart. Right. <laughs> Um, so the, the one that I think is doing it the best is uh, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is obviously sending out tons of messages as both a B2C platform and a B2B platform. Um, you know, as a, as a consumer, right. I'm receiving invites, right. Somebody's, you know, Jake asks me to connect. Jake sends me, uh, uh, you know, an, a message saying, Hey, come on my podcast. Right. I get emails from other people. I don't know. There's all that. And then on the B2B side, right, we're, we're a sales navigator customer as our many uh, uh, sales teams. And we get all sorts of notifications there around like such and such prospect downloaded your white paper. And all that. So there's all of these kind of messages that are highly personalized and customized for, for me, right? They're not campaigns about like the spring sale, right? right? And they're not onboarding drips, right? They're about, hey, this activity happened. Um, they do some really sophisticated things around batching. Right. Making sure if uh, 
you know, your podcast episode blows up and a hundred people, you know, want to connect with Jake, Jake shouldn't get a hundred, you know, notifications that yeah. day, right? Send them one that says, Hey, a hundred people asked you to connect. Uh, so they have a whole team internally called the air traffic controller team. That's the name of their internal system, essentially their version of courier, uh, that they've built over the last 10 years. And they've got about 60 to 70 engineers that build and maintain that system. Hiring globally can open the door to vast talent pools, but knowing where to look can take time. Paperwork can be complex and it's costly if you get it wrong. We help founders hire remotely across five continents and in 50 different countries, and we do it in three steps. First, we listen to your company's story, the core skills required for the role, and why it would be great to work there. Second, we tell that story globally across multiple candidate channels we've developed over 10 years. And third, we schedule candidate interviews within 48 hours. Hiring from different cultures can be complex, takes time, and there's no guarantee a candidate's the right fit once they're on board. That's why we take additional steps to give you peace of mind. It's the right fit once you make the hire and give you six months to make sure you've gotten it right. There's a whole world out there. Why not hire anywhere? It can save you time and potentially save you labor costs as you scale. For a limited time, we're offering a $5,000 credit towards your first hire. And if it's not a fit over the course of six months, we'll replace them absolutely free or give you your money back. Go to matchrelevant.com and claim your offer with promo code MATCH2023. So just for notifications, they've got 60 engineers heads down full That's time right. to manage that traffic flow. That's right. And, and, and so you take your company. Um, and so if you're any software company out there that's looking to have notifications built in, they, I guess the idea is that they don't have to build that infrastructure now for notifications. They don't have to build really anything that can just connect with your platform. That's right. You know, what I was really passionate about starting career is, is making it easy, even for that solo engineer working on kind of a side hustle or an MVP. Uh, I remember despite, you know, ostensibly being an expert in the messaging space, when I would go build a little MVP toy project, I would, I would avoid going and setting up an HTML template for my emails, right? Because it's such a pain in the butt or having to go set up DCAM and all that nonsense. And so we really wanted to make it the easiest thing to get started with. You're just spinning up your, your side project we're going to be the easiest way to plug in your first notifications. And then very importantly to us, we want to scale with you as your business grows, because eventually we want you to be a a paying customer, um, which is, which is not, you know, where you have to start. Yeah. Got it. Well, you say the, a paying customer is, so is it how, how, what's the pay model look like today? Yeah. So we have, um, a a fairly typical, um, developer tool like structure where there's a free tier. We try to be very generous with with the free tier, uh, so that you know somebody can get up and running and even use it at a at a funded startup for for a while. Eventually, you know there are um, limits in terms of usage there, and then you go into what we call our self service model or developer plan, uh, and that's really just adding your credit card, and we charge you via Stripe every month based upon what you use. So you send a handful of messages a month. You we, we're going to charge you pennies, right? You send a few thousand, we might charge you a couple dollars. Um, and then of course we have a, what we call our business plan and that's for larger customers that want, you know, dedicated support, account management, um, certain compliance needs like HIPAA. There's, there's a set of things that larger businesses care about that we have a whole sales team that can talk to them about that. Right. Yeah. Got it. That's great. Wow. That makes it real easy. If you want to start a company and you understand there's certain things you need to embed into your platform 
without having to pay a lot up front. You can get something functional, looks professional, scalable, all that good stuff. Um, this show is about not just the technologies being built, but the people mm -hmm. that are yeah. building them. When you built Courier, had you had your own startup prior? No, I'd worked at uh, a couple very early stage startups. I mentioned earlier when I let, first left school, I was, gosh, I think employee 15, 16, somewhere around that at, a, uh -huh. at an early stage startup. Um, uh, the company just before Courier, uh, I joined as I think employee four or five. Um, I think those were the two earliest stage. So I'd never been, you know, em, em, employee number one or employee number zero, depending on how you, you want to count it. Right. Uh, so I'd never gone through that, that first initial phase, but I'd been, I'd been there early. I wasn't a, uh, big company kind of guy. Yeah. Got it. So you, 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 you start courier and in parallel, you get accepted into Y Combinator, which is, you know, a school that essentially everybody in technology that's in the startup yeah. world knows about what made you want to do that and what was the experience of being part of that yeah that was that was wild um you know i i started courier in april 2019 and the uh the application for for yc was at the end of march 2019 and so it was actually before i'd really even started working on courier because i had to you know exit my my previous gig uh but I was sitting there, I saw the deadline and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to make this deadline. I'll just wait for the next batch. Cause we didn't have, they didn't have rolling applications at the time. So it would have been, you know, a six month wait. And, uh, I'd seen a video, I believe by Daniel Gross, who's, uh, one of the partners who, who now runs pioneer fund. And he, uh, he was very explicit about, Hey, the YC partners actually like to see you apply multiple times. So, you know, don't ever feel like you're too early, uh, because they want to see kind of the Delta between your applications. And so I was like, well, you know, there's, there would never be a bigger Delta than going from zero to having something. So I might as well put <laughs> together an application and be like, oh, I don't really have anything, but here's what I'm planning to do. <laughs> uh, fully with the, uh, the expectation that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to get an interview, let alone, uh, get accepted. And, um, I got, I didn't even decide to do it until the very last day, uh, when it was due and it was wow. a Sunday. I said, yeah, I should just do it. I should just do it. And so I spent a few hours, um, probably don't need to spend that long, but I, I did cause I was, you know, being neurotic about making sure it was perfect <laughs> or as perfect as it can be for a yeah. last minute, last day submission. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, send it in, put it out of memory, right? Like, of course it was kind of back there, right? I, I cared. I don't want to pretend I didn't care, but I wasn't, I wasn't optimistic. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, I wonder how they're going to, you know, I wonder when, how will I know that they're, that they told me no, right? Well, like yeah. the email or what's, what's gonna happen. Um, so then literally, you know, a few days later, start the company, uh, for real full time. And, um, at the end of that first week, we met, uh, the, the person who became the lead for our seed round, which we weren't necessarily even going to raise. And so a few weeks into starting the company, we had a term sheet for our seed round and had just been, uh, you know, invited to interview at YC went and did the interview and they, they tell you same day if you're accepted uh, okay. at, the fall, at the end of the interview. And so we were very fortunate that we were accepted. And so we had the term sheet and, uh, the YC, uh, acceptance, which it's a pretty great start. I was yeah. like, all right, you know, IPO in a few months, right? Like <laughs> you plot the trajectory here, uh, and, uh, ultimately decided to do both. And so we have a, an amazing, uh, lead for our seed round, Pat Malatak, who's former. VP product at Twilio, you know, absolute expert in our space. 
and then, you know, going through life combinator and that's an amazing program, um, with obvious, obviously a, a well-known pedigree, amazing peers in there that I still stay in close contact with, right. Where we're kind of able to share our experiences and, and oftentimes very shared experiences of challenges we're going through. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel, feel very fortunate. What did you think was the biggest benefit? You got the network out of it. Sounds like that's a really big benefit. Anything for startup founders that may want to apply that they don't know what they're going to get out before they potentially apply to do it? Yeah. So I would say that there are um, essentially four key benefits to to YC and which one apply, which one's going to be applicable to you or most exciting to you is going to vary on your circumstances. So the first is that, you know, some people consider it a school. I don't. Uh, there's very little uh, training, right? There was literally like a day, a day where we went in to, at, the, at the time, you know, we were all going into Mountain View uh, on site. That's all changed now post COVID. Uh, but we went in for a day. There was a bunch of sessions and they were like, here's how you cold email people. Here's how you do this. Here's how you put together a pitch deck. <laughs> See ya, right? Like, you know, uh, that that's the extent of the school. So I think that can be valuable. Like if you're a fresh grad coming out of Stanford or whatever, right. um, you're going to learn things in that because you haven't really been in uh, a startup environment yet. And they kind of give you that crash course. If you've been in a startup environment, frankly, you're unlikely to learn all that much. You'll learn some things because they cover a lot of different job functions and you're unlikely to have done them all, but limited. Uh, the, the network is the thing that I think is the best, right? In terms of just, uh, it's a very lonely, hard road to go down as a founder and having a lot of peers and friends who are a little bit ahead of you, a little bit behind you, keeping pace with you to, to commiserate with and pick their brain. And, and, uh, that, that, that is, um, you know, you could probably create something approximating that yourself outside of YC, but YC just kind of gives you that network pre-canned and it's, you know, much larger than would be reasonable to create yourself. And, uh, it's, it's world-class. Um, there is, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to pitch at the end of the program for, for demo day. If you, uh, are like most YC companies, you haven't raised a seed round. We were very different in the fact that we raised kind of, you know, concurrently with going into YC. So, right. uh, we didn't really need to raise money after YC for the companies that, that do, which is 99% of YC companies. Uh, it's an amazing platform to, to launch your fundraising you know, program from, uh, and certainly does increase both the odds of success and the likely, you know, likely valuation that you're going to get. So there's value there. And then the last one is, um, if you're selling a product to, uh, to startups, uh, like courier is gosh, it's a great place to uh, build awareness early on, uh, to find your first customers. And we found our first customers BYC. Uh, that's great. Really easy to, uh, make those introductions. I'm sure once you gone through a class or yeah. gone through the program with someone. Uh, when did you feel like things were starting to click for Courier? You've got your funding, you go yeah. through YC, maybe you get your first couple clients. When did you go, you know what? My thesis I think is accurate. I think there's something here. Yeah, good question. I mean, you know, I think that I always have had a lot of confidence in the thesis because we're not trying necessarily to convince people to do things they weren't already going to do. Uh, the question mark was really, uh, you know, there are these, our customers are already going to be investing in building notification infrastructure. Can we build the right thing where they will say, 
actually, I want to use your thing instead of building my own. So that was the the question mark there. And it took us about a year and a half or so to kind of crack the recipe on that. And, you know, I, I always refer to this as a bit of a ladder climb. Uh, so for a lot of startups, your product market fit search is a zigzag pattern where you're kind of lost in the woods, looking everywhere to, and, and hopefully you, you find the exit for us. It was more like we knew exactly, you know, we knew exactly what needed to be built, uh, because we'd spent time with all of those larger companies who'd already built it. Right. And it's just like, okay, there's the end state or a version of the end state. So let's project a, a fairly linear path from like, point A to point Z. Uh, but that's going to take five years to get to. So, uh, you know, what can we develop now that customers could use and get value out of? And we did that at first and, and we were able to get some early, early companies, uh, using courier and finding value, but it wasn't really enough value and enough maturity baked into the platform to really, uh, drive significant revenue. Right. And so that's what took us about 18 months to, to crack the nut on. And for us, it was that ladder climb of just building maturity and as we built maturity into the platform and into the business uh we were able to unlock larger and larger customers is there anything that is in the product roadmap that you see coming that is you're really excited about oh a whole lot of things yeah so um we're we're doing some some pretty uh awesome stuff just just this quarter i, I think we just yesterday released a whole new part of our our new redesign of of the product um so we've always been a, a company that cares deeply about design both in the design that we um put in front of our customers and how they use our product but as well as the design that they're extending to their own customers right because while we're a developer platform and there's some parts of it that is a design tool, right? Because you're using notifications as part of your user experience to extend to your own customers. Uh, so we're heavily uh, investing in, in updating all of those design capabilities and design components. Customers are already starting to see some of that roll out, um, but, but a lot more still to come. Uh, and that's going to kind of lead its way into a big redesign of, of our editor experience, bringing that up. Uh, we already have what is clearly the best in the industry right now. We're going to leapfrog way past where we are at today uh, and bake in a lot of support for things customers have been asking about, for example, like A-B testing. Uh, so really excited to, to deliver on that. Really cool. You know, with AI right now in the market and all the awareness that companies are thinking about, what can they do with AI? Should it be integrated into what they've built? Mm -hmm. How does AI have an impact on your platform if at yeah. all and do you see it it, you know? it does we actually we were an early adopter so we have chat gpt integration already in the platform today uh, the way we use it um the way we've kind of identified as as the best use case today uh is kind of helping with the blank canvas problem and the blank canvas problem being you want to you want to build something you want to create something and you get that canvas in front of you and there's nothing there and it's really hard to put that first mark on the paper right uh, but once you put it down there, you realize you don't like that and you make a different mark, right? And so having something there. Uh, one of the challenges we've always had, we've always talked about, for example, having pre-canned templates for, for notifications. Like what if we had the notifications you wanted for your product out of the box? The problem is, as we looked at our various customers, everybody's got different notifications. Notifications are very specific to your own business. And so what we did was we integrated ChatGPT as a way to very quickly spin up your notifications where you can just tell Courier, Hey, here's the kind of notification that I want, and we'll spin that up, wire it up, put all the content in for you, 
are you likely to click publish and take that to production just like that? No, but now you've got, we've kind of cracked through that blank canvas for you. And now you can start to tweak to, uh, to meet your own needs. Wow. That I'm sure saves a lot of time. So looking at the market today and when you and I started talking, this was pre COVID into mm-hmm. COVID and now looking at we've come out of COVID for the most part, I would say, um, the, you know, the trends in companies were everything remote, mm-hmm. then maybe coming back to on site, um, maybe hybrid. What's your, where, 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 where's your position on this? Great question. I think that we are, so we consider ourselves remote first, remote first hybrid, which is like, let's just slam a bunch of buzzwords together. (laughs) I don't know that we really like, um, as an industry identified the taxonomy of possible, um, options here. Uh, the way we've solved for it is we have, uh, a fairly large centricity in the Bay area, but not everybody. So I would say about two thirds to three quarters of our companies in the Bay area, but we have a significant uh, you know, number of our team that's not in the Bay Area, right? Uh, and the vast majority of our Bay Area employees do not come into the office every day, but we do have a an office. And, uh, you know, I, keep, I went into the office once this week. Other weeks, I go in three days a week. Uh, we've got some employees that come in three to four days a week uh, that are in the Bay Area, some that are in the Bay Area that almost never come in, maybe once a quarter. Uh, we do try to fly the whole team out to get together um, once every quarter or two uh, to do some team building and social activities. Uh, so I don't know, man, like we're we're still feeling it out like anybody else is. Um, I don't think I don't think it's realistic to, to say we're going to go back to everybody's heads down in the office every day. Um, at the same time, I think the uh, companies who are just saying, hey, we're never in person, we're never shoulder to shoulder at a whiteboard. I think you're, you're missing out on a lot there. So trying our best to kind of find the sweet spot in between. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. You know, we're seeing some really interesting trends, but hybrid seems to be growing uh, in favor of a lot of founders and companies having that ability to have people come in, not the whole way, not all the time, but you know, also being able to be productive in certain meetings and improve culture in certain ways. So I, I think hybrid's a good good option. Uh, you know, we we talk with a lot of investors at companies. In fact, we invest in companies ourselves. And one of the questions is, you know, if you're going to be hiring and building teams that are not local, that are remote, you know, the U.S. is one way, but mm-hmm. globally, you know, we're seeing a lot of companies look at Canada and look at Mexico yep. and look at South America for you know talent, but also cost and labor and, mm-hmm. you know, strategies around international hiring is becoming top of mind for a lot of companies we're talking to. Have you been in a position yet where you've, you've hired anyone international? Have you thought about that strategy? We haven't yet. Um, we have thought about it and talked about it. And I think we fully intend to go down that path. It's just been, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, some compliance questions on, on our side that are hundred percent solvable, right? But require effort yeah <laughs> and we, we just haven't uh, prioritized the effort to uh to structure the business in the way that we would need to in order to you know do so while complying with our customers own uh data uh needs um, yeah so that's that's the the trick that it's you know for a lot of other companies that wouldn't even be a a, a concern at all um i i think you know 
I think within the next year we'll we'll have like figured that out and made made some some progress there. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, got it. Sounds like most founders of startups have got multiple things to do and not enough time to do it. Yeah. And where do you pick your priorities? So exactly. If you're a founder out there and you want to build a startup, um, what are some of the lessons or some of the teachings you would share with them? Yeah. So, uh, so I talked to a lot of, you know, early stage founders, folks who are just spinning things up. Some are repeat, uh, folks like folks that I've, I've known for, for a while. Um, and one of the things that, that is true is that even if it's not your first time, so whether it be your first time or a subsequent time, it's really hard to get out of your own head and get kind of critical evaluation of, of your idea. Um, I love building and a lot of, you know, my friends are, are, you know, engineers I've worked with in the past and the great ones love to build. And, uh, it's very easy to just jump right into, to doing that. Uh, this is cliche and, and wrote advice, but it is, uh, still advice that I see almost never practiced, <laughs> uh, which is don't start building something, right? Go out and find customers to talk to, right? Go out and like with your, with your voice, with your face, right? Go yeah. talk to them. Uh, you know, don't just read something, go, go have a conversation with the folks that you believe you're solving a problem for and identify whether, you know, what, what, what is the likelihood that they're actually going to, you know, purchase this, right? Uh, there's all sorts of, you know, customer discovery frameworks that you can use for, for kind of trying to identify the actual real, um, need of, uh, the problem you're attempting to solve. I don't think you need to be all that highly structured about it. I just think, uh, if you're thinking about starting a company, go find, you know, identify who you think your customer is and then go spend as much time with that kind of person as you can. And don't start building something until you're confident that you know who you can go sell the first release of that to. Yeah, that's great advice. I think you need to have a need that someone has to have solved before you build something and hope that they actually need it. So absolutely makes sense to me. You know, I, I we look at um, companies a lot of where they're at and how they've tracked, but it, we also talk to to the founders about their level of success, satisfaction, happiness. And out of, you know, we've interviewed 35,000 people in yeah, our wow. business so far. And one of the things that's a common denominator is happiness is equated to progress for a lot of people mm -hmm. and a lot of companies. Uh, it's not always about the outcome. Sometimes it's the journey. Yeah. And in that journey for you, what has been the things that you've looked at that have been progressive that you say, you know, these are the things that have made me happy personally. And then as a company, where's the progress that you've been real satisfied with? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I'll answer that in reverse, starting on the company side. On the company side, it's always around metrics, right? It's around revenue. It's around usage. It's around, you know, um, you know, acquisition and, and seeing signups go up and, and all of those things. To be honest, though, on the personal side, while while that is important to me and obviously matters to me, the thing that I've found personally most satisfying is seeing the product evolve from um, something that you know wasn't an idea that I first had to an idea that other people agreed was a good idea, right? But, but that's like doesn't mean all that much to getting our first customers who are interested in using Courier and saying yes, I would use that, I would buy that, 
that felt good. But, but where it really started to feel good and felt like real tangible progress was when it actually went live. When our, we had customers actually using courier in production to power mission critical use cases, and then to see that they actually loved it, right? Seeing those first renewals come in, right? Seeing that it wasn't just, a um, you know, seeing, seeing the first time somebody that wasn't me sell the product, right? And so it was like, a people just like buying it to be nice to me, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like seeing, seeing that kind of, uh, progression of, uh, proof points add up over time to, you know, our first six figure deal, um, not because of the revenue necessarily, but showing, Hey, this is what, uh, this is how that customer values w- what we've built. Right. Right. And just seeing that kind of grow that, um, uh, th- that's really where the juice has been for me. And then going and talking to those customers, hearing sometimes complaints. I love complaints. It means they care, right? The worst thing in the world is you go talk to somebody, they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, we, I guess it's still running. Like we don't use it. Uh, so it's, uh, the, the, the customer adoption and love of the platform is, is really where I've derived my personal satisfaction. Yeah, that's great. Well, this has been great talking to you, Troy, getting an update, seeing where things are from your perspective. If someone wants to find out about Courier, where, where can they go? Yeah, yeah, really easy. We're www.courier.com. So it's C-O-U-R-I-E-R. Um, and yeah, come check it out. We've got a free free version of the platform. So if you're just working on a side hustle, hackathon, early stage startup, uh, or even late stage startup, come, come check it out. Perfect. All right. All that will be in the description below. Troy, good catching up with you as always. Yeah, and we'll uh, catch up on the next time we go around. Absolutely. Thanks, Jake. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. Before we wrap up, I want to give a big shout out to all the entrepreneurs that have joined to make this podcast possible. And for all the listeners for listening, it means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with us today. I'm your host, Jake Aaron Villarreal. Signing off for now, but can't wait to connect with you all soon on the next episode. Take care. This show is sponsored by Match Relevant, a company that helps venture-backed startups find the best people in the market, and they do it in three simple steps. First, they sit down with founders to understand their story. Second, they tell their story into multiple candidate channels. And third, they schedule interviews within 48 hours. Find us at matchrelevant.com to learn more about how we do it.